Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. My goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Joy Opsvig. Joy used to be in public relations, and she's now in data science at LinkedIn. Joy and I joined LinkedIn around the same time, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your story along with the rest of you. Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be talking to you today. Yes, excited to have you on. So can we start at the beginning? Tell us about your childhood. So I am from a very small town in North Bend, Washington. It's just outside of Seattle. I grew up in a family with four sisters. So there was five of us. I have a fraternal twin. And that was a pretty fun and interesting household to grow up in. Um, we had a relatively small house. So I learned a lot about compromising and patience and sharing very early on. I bet. But as far as my childhood and growing up there, I was very involved and interested in performing and acting and dancing. And so a lot of my childhoods was spent doing dance performances or acting in musicals and plays. And for a long time, I thought that I wanted to be an actor growing up. That was like my childhood dream. Nice. Obviously, I haven't become one today. Yes. <laughs> yes, yet. But I have found my other dream role uh, through data science. So it's been quite the journey from growing up loving acting and studying communication up to becoming a data scientist. Yeah. So going back to the acting, did you get to mm -hmm. continue to explore that as you grew up? Did you get to do that in middle school and high school? I did. Yeah, it was a big part of my middle school and high school. I was very involved in the drama clubs. I did Annie. I was Annie, if you're familiar with the musical. Wow. I, I, I wore the red wig and everything. I actually had a real golden retriever on stage with me. That was pretty fun. Wow. Um, and I did actually some commercials. One of my first commercials was um, with Microsoft Windows XP. Ooh, foreshadowing. Yeah, right. That was like my first foray into tech, really, was that that commercial. Um, but it was really like this love of acting and communication and performance that got me into my studies in college because I loved it so much. I thought I would want to go into communication and also political science. I, I loved history. Um, and so I kind of found myself getting gravitated towards that. But there was definitely hints of me loving math and excelling in science um, that I, I didn't really tap into until uh, the past few years, honestly. Okay. So growing up, any exposure at all to programming or computers? A little bit. And this is going to be a little bit embarrassing to say, but my first real tangible experience in programming was actually through a website called Neopets. Are you familiar with it? I'm not, but I would love to hear more. Okay. So... It's pretty funny. I, I think it actually still exists today, but essentially you have an account and you're able to, there's quite a few things you can do on it, but one of them is owning like virtual pets. Okay. My parents didn't really allow us to have that many pets growing up. So I got to do this through this website. Nice. But one of the things that you were able to do was build websites for your pet. And so I really got into like CSS and HTML mm -hmm. and um, I didn't do anything with that much after but i also use that a bit for my myspace later on oh, um nice. and so that was like my first little hint that i i liked coding at least but okay i never really thought of that as a career right okay so you had mentioned college and i saw it looks like you studied abroad for a little bit at the university of sussex i definitely want to know more about that yes i did a semester abroad um in a 
town called Brighton, which is just south, I think an hour or so south of London. Okay. And that was my first experience traveling. Growing up in a really large family, we didn't have that much opportunity to travel or see much outside the United States. So when I got to college, I knew that was something that I wanted to explore. And so I got the opportunity to spend a month in Brighton at the University of Sussex studying in their law, politics, and sociology program. And it was an incredible experience. It really opened up my eyes to traveling, to experience new cultures. Now, I'm saying that I'm in London, so it's not that crazy of a difference from obviously where I'm originally from, but it was still enough of a difference and enough far, being far away from home that kind of like got me into traveling and kind of gave me this the travel bug. Actually, from there, I, I started traveling almost full time after graduating college and living in San Francisco a bit. I've separately been a digital nomad for the past five years. So that was the start to it. Okay. But again, at the University of Sussex, I was really focused again on communication and political science and not so much in data science yet. Okay. So a lot of poli-sci, I'm curious, did you ever mm -hmm. think about politics or anything like that? Or was that just a curiosity of yours that you wanted to pursue? It was really just an interest. I actually knew I didn't want to get into politics, but I was interested in political theory and I was interested in history. And there was a lot of crossover between my communications classes and the political science classes that I was able to double major in both um, while exploring my interests in communications as well as poli-sci. Okay. I told you I wanted to be an actor growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I came to the realization that wasn't going to happen when I, or not yet, in, yet. in college. Go. And so working in comms and poli-sci or studying that, I then thought my next dream was going to be a broadcast journalist. Okay. And so I felt like that was very fitting. Obviously, didn't pursue that path either, but yeah. that's kind of where my, my studies, I thought, were going to take me. I like this, though. I like that you explored all of these different paths. It took me a very long time to do my own version of that, so I can definitely appreciate that in you. And so how <laughs> did you transition from that possibility to the life of the digital nomad that you had mentioned, maybe after college? So after college, I honestly didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my comms and poli-sci. I had thought maybe broadcast journalist, but then I worked at a um, news station in Seattle called King 5. It's one of our big ones out here. And through that experience, I realized, okay, maybe I don't want to be a broadcast journalist. Um, and so I found myself getting into public relations and I really wanted to move to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I found a job in PR in San Francisco, working for um, a really incredible agency down there that serviced tech clients. Okay. And while I was working there and living in San Francisco in a very exciting time in 2015 to 2017, I had started hearing about this remote work idea of where you don't live anywhere, but you travel full time. And I had loved San Francisco, but two years felt like a good amount of time for me. And I, I wanted to explore that as an option. And so I found a company called Remote Year. Okay. Have you? Heard of remote year before? No. So basically they organize like group travel for digital nomads. Okay. And so I essentially signed up and that took me to South America. And then eventually like I had also gone to Southeast Asia and, and quite a bit all over the world. So that's really where my journey started was just okay. seeing like, okay, there's this alternative lifestyle out there and I want to try it. And so yeah. I basically just packed up San Francisco and got on a flight and left. So you're doing that. You can't leave us with that cliffhanger. I'm curious where, <laughs> so at this point, 
you're exploring, you're working, is the world of data science on your radar at all? Very good question. Looking back now, it's much easier to say that kind of all the signs were there. Mm. And I'd have to like rewind a bit because it was really in high school where I was so focused on performance arts and communication that I was really ignoring my love for work in math Mm -hmm. and science and even computer programming. I did really well there, even better than like what I was doing probably in my communications classes, but I didn't see myself pursuing that because I didn't know what kind of roles existed. And I feel like I was very naive at the time because, okay, sure, I just forwarded my math class, but what am I going to do with math? Okay, that's a very naive way to think. But I didn't know anyone had pursued degrees in math. I didn't know that many people even going into engineering or computer science. And I'm so grateful there's way more resources now for people in high school to be pursuing careers or just the knowledge that there's more careers out there than you think. But I was so focused on performance arts. I'm like, okay, I love being with people. I want to be on stage. I can't be behind a computer all day. And that's such a limited way of thinking because, well, Ironically, now we all work on a computer all day, but um, <laughs> I, it prevented me from following things that I think and I know that I love now. Granted, like it's gotten me a really interesting path to get here, yeah. so I don't regret anything. The hints of data science and my passion for this were there, and I think that really started with me excelling in math at a young age. And then um, even through college and through my public relations career, I was always drawn towards data analytics, data insights, data-driven storytelling. And so through connecting the dots through all of this, it kind of ultimately led me to pursuing a career in data science. Okay. No, that's amazing. So you're still exploring. And I know eventually you decided to go with Springboard, the same boot camp that I went to, although with a different track. So how far between the journey that you're describing was it until you had found Springboard and maybe decided to go down that path? So I was working for my previous agency for about six years. A few years into it, I was already, it was very clear that I had found my niche for myself at this agency, working on data-driven storytelling. And just to give like a high-level overview, um, Mm -hmm. one of our jobs as a public relations specialist is to essentially help companies get news stories. And so that could be news stories for product launches, research reports, proactive news stories, And so through this work, I ended up working with a lot of our clients, data science teams, data teams. I was working with economists. I actually worked with LinkedIn's chief economist at one point back in the day. We can come back to that later. Yeah. I was really gravitated towards this work and I loved it. And my agency was wonderful. They really let me thrive in that and really explore that as an opportunity to own and project manage a lot of these data-driven stories and research reports that we were producing for our clients. So a few years into it, maybe like five years into it, there got to be a point where I was looking at my career trajectory and as someone working in public relations, there's like pretty much two paths you can go. One, you can stay like working at an agency, continue to work on the client side, Mm -hmm. or you can work in-house and work for a company full-time. The problem was I didn't see myself going down either of these paths. And I saw like the promotion levels ahead of me. Next path would have been account director, vice president, and so on. And I wasn't really excited about it. Yeah. And that was a huge red flag to me. Like, okay, 
something's wrong. If I'm yeah. not excited for the next level, yeah. I need to fix something because I do have a hunger to learn and I do want to be enthusiastic about what's next for me. And yeah. that's kind of when I'm like, okay, wait, I need to like change something here. Yeah. I started thinking more about what I was loving about my role, which was the data work. And I'm like, okay, how can I potentially make this into a career? And so I started talking to people. Uh, my sister actually worked as a business analyst. So I talked to her for a bit. And I had talked to somebody I actually traveled with who had done the springboard bootcamp. Same track? Same track, data science okay. track. Yeah. And so I, like, I reached out to her and I talked to her about it. And it was really like those conversations that catapulted the next year and two years. Now here we are today. And so it was like through those conversations that I decided to do the springboard career track. Good for you for zooming out and being able to, to make that decision because most people would just complain, but please continue. I didn't want to complain anywhere. I did complain a bit. I'm like, okay, something's not right. Like I know yeah. we don't have to be super passionate about our careers and that's okay, but I'm like, there must be more out there. And so I, I really wanted to make that change. And I think that kind of hopefully resonates with all of the other career changers too. Yeah. That like, maybe they, they have that feeling like, okay, something's not right. How can I pivot and try something new or something else? And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's great that you had resources that had been through that and maybe could provide uh, an option for you. So you sign up for Springboard. What happens next? It took me about a year to okay. officially quit my job. Okay. And the reason being is I first wanted to get my feet wet a little bit and make sure like this was the right path. Yeah. And so I was still working full time and I was taking a couple courses online and watching like YouTube videos and stuff. And I think like Codecademy was like my first learning into Python. And okay. I actually did um, the Springboard pre-boot camp. They offer like a month long like pre-boot camp. Because yep. I just wanted to be really sure like, okay, yeah. could I see myself doing this? And so uh, I did that over the course of like a year while working full time. But I was also um, saving up because I knew that I wanted to quit my job and do the Springboard boot camp full time. I wanted there to be a very clean break. I wanted to close the door on public relations and throw myself into the deep end, into data science. And so that did end up taking me about a year before I signed up full time, uh, just because I, I really wanted to have um, that financial security and also make sure that this was like a good path for me. Um, yeah. Just a little bit of experience here and there. So yeah, then I, then I signed up, quit my job. And that was in July of 2021, about a year. That's amazing. And that, that's so, again, so smart of you to have the foresight to start saving, knowing that you're going to make that move. I, I did the same exact thing. I knew that I was unhappy. It probably took me about a year to muster up the courage to have that clean break, which I also wanted because I had dabbled with code for a couple of years. I liked it. I was using it in the day to day, but I, like you, like I wasn't growing in the ways that I wanted to grow. I was tired of the job. I also looked ahead at where I was headed in my career there. And it was set in stone. It was, I guess, okay financially, but it was boring. And that was the impetus behind my story. But I want to go back to yours. So you've done the pre-curriculum with Springboard. Mm -hmm. And then about a year in, how did you end it with your employer at the time? Everybody had known my love for data. So I don't think it was like a big, big surprise for anyone. But I have to say it was really hard to leave them. I was really fortunate to be working for a company uh, that was very, very caring very kind people and very encouraging of career growth. Yeah. 
So really, they, they took me as far as I could go into this path. And I knew that moment had to end. Yeah. Of course, ended on really good terms, but that I was so grateful for the, the opportunity and experiences to even like kind of dabble into the data-driven storytelling there. Yeah. But yeah, and then after leaving, it was just studying data science full-time. And that was a whirlwind in itself. Yeah. So I'm curious for the springboard that you did, did you do the pay by month? Did you do the upfront? I did the upfront. Okay. I did the upfront one. Yeah. I think Jesse, when I talked with Jesse on another episode, I think he did the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And then how did that go? How were you working through that? Yeah. So that was honestly very, very challenging. I had done a lot of like small courses here and there, but of course this was the big one Mm -hmm. and it was completely I mean, as you're familiar, like it's it's pretty self-guided aside from like the mentorship. Mm-hmm. And so learning alone can be pretty hard. And I did know a couple people who had gone through this journey, but from the day to day, you're pretty much alone and you're learning. Yeah. And so yeah. that takes a lot of consistent hard work. And I am a pretty social person, so I like to be surrounded with people. And I did miss the classroom setting, like yeah. In another life, maybe I would have preferred to be in a classroom with people learning together. So that part was challenging for me. And the course was really challenging in a good way, though. I was so excited to be working on something that felt really difficult to me because I'm like, okay, I am learning something. This feels good. Like, this is what I want. And so that was very validating. Okay, whatever ends up happening, like maybe this data science career works out for me or not. I learned something and that was cool. Like I can be proud of myself for (laughs) diving into the deep end and seeing how it goes. But as for like the siloed learning and everything, what I ended up doing was trying to create a community for myself of other career changers. And I'm so grateful you're doing a podcast like this and reaching out and connecting um, and bringing together fellow people going through this, because I think it's such an important part of the journey to have people experiencing the same things you are experiencing the same pain points and being able to support each other can can go really far. So yeah, I had just started reaching out to everyone I know that was in the field, even like through LinkedIn connections, and then finding um, communities that were close to home, like women in data, uh, our Seattle chapter is one that has been really great for me. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's very cool. And I will say that was the one maybe chink in the armor for Springboard, for me at least, is that lack of community. They do have the the Slack channel, and I think it's obviously not a silver bullet to solve that issue, but I think it's really cool that you had the initiative to reach out and to kind of establish your own cohort, so to speak, to work through that curriculum. So at some point here, you're going to start interviewing, and that's a topic that a lot of the listeners are probably curious to know more about. So I think I have a feeling how your LinkedIn interview went. I definitely want to get there, (laughs) but I'm curious. Did you have any interviews prior to LinkedIn? Maybe any successes and or horror stories that you might want to share? I did. I, yeah, I'm curious how your interviewing experience went as well. You want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay. I can, I've never been put on the spot like this on the show, but I'll, I'll do it. I interviewed with, I think three total companies, LinkedIn included. The first company was a very early stage startup and it was my first interview and it seemed like it might be their first interview as well so it was i would say mutually informative and i did two rounds if you want to call it that with them nothing was very technical and they stopped 
I guess, reaching out to me. And I was okay with that because I could tell that that wasn't a fit for me, but it still gave me those couple of repetitions to see, okay, now I have a better idea. Even if that's not how all of them are going to go, I've got a better plan going forward. So I actually interviewed with another company within the same week as the actual technical interview with LinkedIn. And this went a lot better. It was three rounds total. The first one was technical. I guess I got lucky. It was a recursion based problem that I had seen in a similar fashion before. So I was like, okay, I think I know this. I think I can do that. The interviewer was like, yep, oh, good job. You got the recursive version. Yeah, everything was great. So that was good. Moved on to the next. That did not go so well. I had a, there was an existing function that dealt with histograms, which you can appreciate. I could not appreciate at the time because I was thinking back, I think I know what a histogram is, but I definitely don't remember what a histogram is right now on the spot. And it was an existing function to basically take data and spit it into different bins within that histogram. And I was meant to go through and debug it with the senior dev. and. Somehow I managed to fix a few bugs, didn't get all the way through, and it wasn't a total crash and burn, but it also wasn't the slam dunk that the first one was. So anyway, that ends. There's a behavioral interview with the co-CEO. That goes great. And it was during that time that I had mentioned to her that my wife and I were expecting our first child. And this was, I guess, I wanted to go there because I felt like it would be a little bit disingenuous for me to start and then immediately have that. I guess, going on in the background. And that's just a personal take on that. And anyway, long story short, that job didn't work out, thankfully, because here I am at LinkedIn. I don't know if it's a result of me sharing that detail with them. But regardless, I would say that the universe worked out in my favor, at least as far as I'm concerned. So that was my interview experience. I think I got very lucky. I only applied to maybe 10 jobs and got those three interviews. I don't know if I would have been able to replicate that over a hundred or a thousand, but yeah. No, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. And honestly, I think if a company isn't willing to hire based on reasons such as that, then that's probably not a company you want to work for or that I would want to work for. So, and of course we don't know, but yeah. it's, I think that's telling. Of course the universe does work itself yeah. out and here we are now. So I'm no so complaints. glad that you are part of the REACH program and I'm so happy to be here too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. My interview experience, I did quite a few interviews once I graduated. And I think what helped me a lot through those was actually the Springboard. I do have to commend Springboard for their career prep. Did you work with the any career prep part of Springboard? To an extent, I only got 80% of the way through the program. I actually never got mm -hmm. to like the data structures and algorithms section. But yeah. <laughs> Good for you. A couple of early. I don't know if it's good for me or bad for me now, but yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're doing great. Um, yeah, so the, the career prep part of the program, I did find to be pretty useful in the sense that it really got me prepared for a lot of the behavioral questions. Somewhat for the technical interviews, I found that a lot of the roles that I was going for were actually live tech interviews, but for SQL. And I had done everything in Python. Hmm. Essentially, I had done like some SQL courses here and there, but the entire program was in Python. And so I was really actually grateful for these interviews because they forced me to learn SQL really fast. And I also like made me fall in love with SQL. I mm -hmm. Like it's like one big puzzle. But my interview experience overall, really stressful and really hard. I had just finished the program and I 
was doing everything I could to try and get an interview. So that was like reaching out to my connections on LinkedIn, reaching out directly to recruiters and doing a lot of online job applications, although I still feel like sometimes they're black holes. Yeah, just trying to figure out how to get the opportunity to interview for a data analyst, data science position, knowing that I have a non-technical background because I knew it was going to be pretty tough to get in. And not only that, but it's also very, very competitive at an entry level for these types of roles. And not having any schooling in that besides my boot camp, you know, that was going to, going to be a battle. And something that helped me actually like break that barrier was finding very, very clear connection ties from my previous role into data analysis and data science. And so I feel like that helped me get some interviews. I ended up doing about, I looked this up before we talked, just to remind myself, but I, I ended up doing about 25 interviews, I think, and 10 or so technical challenges. Oh. Some went well, some didn't go so well. But they were all really, really good learning experiences, especially the technical challenges. Like I said, it completely helped me learn SQL. And it also helped me to start thinking about what these types of roles will look like, what kind of problems would I be solving, and how do I go about solving them? So I was very appreciative, even though it was very stressful at the time. (laughs) I think there was one week where I had three technical challenges due in one, all around the same time. I really don't recommend doing that, but sometimes it just has to happen like that. Did you have any take home or was it all on the spot in front of someone in real time for your technical? The majority were take home. Okay. I had a couple of live ones. One I didn't know was going to be a live interview. So that was pretty scary. It went okay. Yeah. One of them I knew it was going to be a live interview, but I completely just blinked yeah. and forgot everything I knew. So I guess that is a little bit of a horror story. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was so funny because it was for a data science position. It was a SQL live coding interview. And they were asking me very basic SQL queries. But they were asking me to write the SQL queries in a Word document. Mm. And I had like trained myself so much in the ability to pull and extract the data based on my queries. I mean, it's so funny. If I wasn't live and people weren't watching me, I'd probably be able to do it, I'd hope. Yeah. But the fact that people were watching me and I was in, working in a Word document and I couldn't yeah. see the results, yep. it tripped me up a bit. Yeah. And I just blinked completely. Yeah. I get that. That didn't go according to plan, but that's okay. I, I, I learned my lesson. Yeah. I don't know why more companies don't do the take-home, even if it's a, a quick turnaround because at the end of the day, I mean, you know this as well as I do, like we're given tasks and we go figure out the answer. So I don't quite understand it. I guess I get that you want to see how people think and perform, but I don't think it's really indicative of how we actually perform under duress. So it's interesting that they're still doing that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think with the take-home challenges, I felt like the ones I had were a bit more extensive too. And so they really got into the entire problem solving start to finish, presenting you with a problem and like giving you the opportunity to research, look into it, come up with a plan, come up with the results. And I feel like that is a much better view of your work and your capabilities than asking you to do SQL in a Word document. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So zooming out, you've finished Mm -hmm. the Springboard curriculum. If I heard you correctly, you had graduated, Mm -hmm. you've done 25 or so interviews was the LinkedIn reach apprenticeship included in that batch? It was, yes. And so there was a few that I had gotten to the final round with. And one I had gotten the offer for 
before I heard back from LinkedIn, because I remember LinkedIn had taken some time to review the applications. Yes, they did. <laughs> and it had a bit longer of a yeah, review process than the other ones. One of them was pretty insistent on a response mm. for this role. And so it was a pretty big risk I took. I knew I wanted the LinkedIn job really bad. I mean, this was really my, my, my dream role. I feel like, and I still feel like it is the perfect stepping stone for people with non-traditional backgrounds to get into tech. Oh, yeah. And I had always admired LinkedIn. I yeah. had always wanted to work to, with LinkedIn's data. And so I ended up turning down the position that I wanted to answer now, just on the off chance, maybe I would get this apprenticeship. Good for you. And luckily I did. Yeah. But I, I just had a feeling in my gut. And also the job wasn't like the perfect fit. I had taken so many risks this far. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take one more risk yeah. and just see if it works out. And if it doesn't, I'll figure it out then, but I'm just going to try. And that's doubly impressive because you had, you had burned the proverbial ships. You didn't have steady income, even though you had saved up and you took the calculated risk. Obviously it has paid off. Kudos to you for, for doing that. And it's very similar to the second interview that I described in my situation where aside from the revelation that I disclosed, I thought it went fairly well and I was very worried that they would accept me and extend an offer because it was probably two or three weeks until I heard from LinkedIn that I was accepted. And I hope mm -hmm. that I would have made the same decision that you made. I don't know, though, to be quite honest. So kudos to you for sticking to your guns. And yeah, you made it here now. Do you want to speak about the, the actual, the reach interview experience, high level, how that went for you? Sure. I'm curious how our experiences differed a bit. Mm -hmm. just since our domains are different. But I'm going to make you go first this time, and then I'll share. Yes, and I'm <laughs> ready to share. For the data science apprenticeship, we were given a take-home assignment, which was essentially following the data science method. Um, they gave us a pile of data that we had to clean and eventually build a predictive model off of. And I remember getting the email of the assignment, and I was just, yes, okay, yes. I'm excited about this yeah. and I'm going to try my best to do yeah. this. Again, credit to Springboard. Springboard was really adamant about learning the data science method, like start to finish and each of the steps that go into that, ingesting the data, cleaning the data, exploratory data analysis, et cetera, all the way to building up a predictive model and seeing how it performs. And so like that process set me up perfectly yeah. for the take-home assignment for LinkedIn. It was a pretty difficult take-home assignment, I must say. The data they provided was very messy. I actually feel like, and I think this is typical amongst data scientists or data focused roles. I, I spent the majority cleaning it and figuring out what was wrong with it. Honestly, probably 80 or 90% of the time. And then finally I built the predictive model, but there was just a lot going on. And I really just gave my all into that yeah. one. Can I ask you really yeah. quickly? So the predictive model part, I'm very curious. Did that, was that like a, an SKLearn framework to incorporate some kind of a, a model? Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I was curious how that was. Yep. And so I was using, yeah, this was all in Python and I was using Pandas and scikit-learn okay. to basically, I ended up building like a random forest model okay. to predict. Essentially we were given rideshare biking data and okay. we needed to predict how different biking parkings performed. So mm -hmm. like different lots, how do they perform in a city in Austin? And so it's been essentially getting like a, I can't remember exactly, but like a year's worth of data or something and predicting yeah. how they perform the following year. Okay. 
I'm a data science at, uh, maybe at heart more so I thought about applying <laughs> to that track, but I didn't think that I, yeah, that's another rabbit hole. Anyway, back to oh. you. So you do the take home. Yes, I did. I did the take home. I, I turned it in and it was funny. I, this was one of the ones that I was working on adjacently to like two other ones at the time. So it was a very stressful week. And I remember my husband saying, oh my goodness, do I want her to get this job? Because she's very stressed and working around the clock to get these done. Granted, I was working at multiple times. But um, yeah, I turned it in on my birthday mm -hmm. earlier this year in May, May 5th. And I waited to hear back. And then I think it was like a month or so later, I can't remember, um, that I, I learned that um, I would be, or I guess we had already known actually that we'd be doing the in-person interviews, but that was scheduled for a few weeks later. And so there's a couple interviews left. The one that was reviewing the work with mm -hmm. current data scientists and then more of a behavioral interview and then one with a former apprentice. Yeah. And so I those were next for me. Yeah. And then how did that process go? Was it, because I'll, I guess I'll quickly touch on the differences before we get to your maybe conclusion. So for us, it was similar. We have the essays and we, mm -hmm. after four or five, it felt like years, but I guess it was just weeks. We heard back that we <laughs> got to move on. And then it was a take home challenge as well. I think it's widely known that at least at the time it was the game mastermind. And we had to implement our version of that. We were given, I guess, 10 days, a window thereabouts to do it. I definitely spent like 80 or 90 hours to do it turned it in. And then I think maybe three days after that, for me, at least was when I had the four hour block of interviews, two and a half with the two senior devs to go through the code base, basically line by line, the hour behavioral with the senior manager, and then the 30 minute icebreaker with the reach apprentice. So was that kind of your timeline as well? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and I completely forgot to mention the the first part of the application process, which of course is the essays yeah. questions. Yeah. And, and so, I love that, um, that LinkedIn does that as well, because it, I don't know, I feel like it's more representative of letting people tell their story while still eventually validating that story, so to speak, at least on the, well, I guess based on both the technical and the behavioral level. So I, I absolutely love that process. I completely agree. And I wish more companies did that. And I know it's really extensive too, especially for people applying for jobs. It's a lot of work to be working on your resumes and cover letters. And so to add additional essays to that is hard, but I do feel like it gives you the opportunity to really shine and convey your passion and your willingness to learn your unique background in a field that maybe a cover letter could do, but doesn't necessarily <laughs> Yeah. yourself up for but asking yeah. these like really specific questions of us i think really um helped us tell and share our stories yeah no i totally agree so then when you actually got to review your project with the two data scientists how did that go well i was terrified going into this <laughs> because i had gone through springboard and so I, of course i had worked on um multiple projects like this but mm -hmm. i had my mentor and of course i was comfortable with my mentor because they knew i was a student but this was the first time where i'm like okay I am presenting to some data scientists right now, sharing my work for the first time outside of Springboard. How is it going to go? Yeah. And honestly, I was pretty happy and excited about it after I got over the initial fear yeah. because I was able to talk through my work and that was really nice for me versus being put on the spot to be like, okay, I'm gonna ask you these top 10 data science questions. How are you gonna right. answer them? I loved the fact that the interview allowed me to just speak 
for myself about the work that I'm capable of doing. And I'm so familiar with the work because I just spent a week on it. And so I loved the process of that and how the interview was set up like that. And then as part of that, I was so scared to initially talk to these data scientists at LinkedIn, but it gave me an opportunity to actually brainstorm with them about, okay, how could I do this differently? Get real feedback on my, on my work. Yeah. So that was really valuable to me yeah. because I'm like, oh, okay, this helps me think about things differently. So this yeah. is a cool learning opportunity in itself. I get data scientists who actually can give me yeah. really helpful feedback. And knowing you, I feel like you probably had that exact attitude during the interview. And I think that definitely <laughs> helped your case because I think you showed that you had that growth mindset and that curious mind to improve the things that you're doing. So that definitely helped. So eventually that went great because here you are. I'm very curious though. How long was it after that block of interview until you got the notice that you were offered the job? So if I remember correctly, I think it was a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I did the block of interviews at the beginning of first week of June, I think, and it was the end of June. So maybe a few weeks or a month. And I remember they had told us they they would let us know by a certain date. What was going through your mind during those few weeks? Were you still looking and applying to other jobs? I know you had your heart set on LinkedIn, but what was that like? Yeah, I was I was continuing to apply and I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself either. I had also like separately gone through a different company and gone to their final round and I had actually really enjoyed and loved talking to those people. That didn't work out for me. So I'm like, you know what? I don't want to get my hopes up on anything. I want it to work, but we'll see. Yeah. And then again, of course, I turned down that other offer. Yep. I'm glad I did, but yeah. And here yeah, you are. So you made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's beautiful. I think we, so we covered interviewing quite a lot, but just mm-hmm. to maybe to circle back and put a exclamation point on it. Is there anything, if you had to go through that process again, or maybe is there anything that you would advise people going through a data science interview like that? One tip perhaps to, to help. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I had to think of one tip, I think maybe what I would have done differently is gotten really specific on what I wanted and gone for that. What kind of tips do you have? So I just had two quick coffee chats with two people Mm -hmm. off of LinkedIn today. And especially the second one, he actually made it through the initial reach filter currently, and he's getting ready to do the other part. And I could tell that he was very high strung might be the wrong way to describe it, but he was very locked in and very nervous. And he acknowledged that about himself. So I definitely answered his questions, but I encouraged him because he asked me directly, what advice do you have for going through this process? And I tried to explain to him that it took me 30 some years to get comfortable with who I am. And it's not something that you can learn overnight, but I basically acknowledged the fact that, hey, you made it half a percent of all the people that applied to the program, make it to where you are. So be proud of where you are no matter what. And so anyway, something like that, I guess, just general advice is be confident. Even if you're, you don't feel confident, you know, you're there for a reason. You got the interview for a reason. It's a mutual exchange. It's not you begging for a job. They have to also prove to you that you're, you know, they're worth your time and years. So one piece of advice would probably be something along those lines. Yeah. I love that. And I think also what you just said too, about you're interviewing them. It's so important for you to have ownership of where you go next. If you're fortunate to have that as an option, because it's a match. You want to go to a company where you're treated well, where you know it's an opportunity for you to learn and grow in the direction that you want to. And so like having that mindset when you're going into 
interviews or talking to company, it's really, really important for you to think about that as you're talking, as you're talking to people. And that's actually a big takeaway that I had when I was doing 20 or so interviews. I really wanted to be mindful of the people I were talking to, how it, I felt like they were enjoying the company. Mm-hmm. How did they feel at the company and Smart. kind of get a sense for that. And did it seem like they were interested in the work that they were doing? Were they excited talking about the work that they were doing? I'd like to think I can pick up generally how people are feeling. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But to me, it felt like when I talked to people who were super excited about their work, I'm like, this is a good sign. Yeah. And again, you landed in the, I think, the perfect spot. Selfishly, I'm glad you landed where you (laughs) did. And I think you're having fun as well. So tell us about what's a typical day in the life of data scientists at LinkedIn. So data science at LinkedIn I feel like can look like a multitude of things. I can talk more specifically about what I'm focused on as an apprentice, but I am on the job marketplace match and equity team. And I am specifically looking at online jobs at LinkedIn. So I am using data to better understand how online jobs are performing, how we can improve the experience and essentially just get like a high level overview of, of how the entire space is doing. A lot of my colleagues are working across many (laughs) different projects at a time. Some of that could be like product ramps, a lot of like A-B testing, a lot of really deep analysis work. And then of course, there's the whole other facet of data science, which dives more into data engineering side and the data foundations. And so some of my colleagues work on that aspect, but I'm mostly focused on product analytics, which is exactly what I wanted to go into. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super, super happy to be here. And honestly, that passion for product analytics started back in my comms days, having yeah. clients that were launching apps or yeah. had um, consumer products and, and yeah. analyzing them. That was really come full circle. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And again, so glad that you landed where you did. So let's, I'd like to put you on the hot seat and ask some mm-hmm. rapid fire questions to better understand the psychology of joy. You up for that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. What does your typical morning look like? So my typical morning for the past 35 days has been waking up at 5.30, making a coffee, and then I am actually doing a, so it's a 40 day long yoga meditation program. I do that every morning from six to seven, and it just sets my morning off on the right foot, gets me into the right mind space, clears my head. Um, And once I get that done, and then it's really kind of organizing my plans for the day. And so usually I write down a list of what are the things that I want to accomplish today, work-wise, but then also like personal and admin-wise. From then, I actually get a kind of a start looking onto my computer pretty early and I'll work for an hour or two. And then I'll enjoy breakfast with my husband continue my work hours and then either finish the day by going outside. I'm trying to get into running and reading. And that... Maybe on the surface sounds boring, but it's a really nice and fun day for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. That's very nice. And it's so, you, you've kind of talked to LinkedIn's, I guess, flexibility in terms of as long as you get the work done, you can do it within reason at your own cadence, which is amazing. So good for you. All right. Next question. If you woke up with unlimited money, what do you think that you would do every day? Okay. If I woke up tomorrow with unlimited money, what would I do differently? Wait, wait, wait. Not okay. differently. You woke up with unlimited money. What do you think you'd spend your time doing? I think I would be doing the exact same thing that I'm doing now. Maybe I would spend my weekends differently, maybe exploring more expensive hobbies. 
I suppose. Okay. And maybe I would find good use for my money, but I, I wouldn't change much. I'm very happy with like how my life is at the moment and the life that I have built for myself currently. So I don't have immediate changes right now. Good for you. I think that means you're doing what you were called to do, which is, <laughs> I guess, what we could hope for in life. So what hobbies might you do on the weekends? So this is pretty random, but I, over my travels, I got into horseback riding. Oh. I think it's a really fun way to explore new lands and places. And of course, if the horses are treated well and it's from like a good ranch or farm, I do love to get into horseback riding. It is a bit expensive, I think, to take horseback riding lessons. So I have not done that yet, but yes. that would probably be an expensive hobby of mine. Yeah, I think horseback riding. <laughs> My sister had a horse growing up, so I can oh. fully appreciate the, the cost aspect that goes along with <laughs> yeah. that. So I like oh, that. I'm sure, yeah. All right. Are there any books or podcasts that have had the biggest impact on you, either technically or otherwise? So I love reading memoirs okay. and I love them because I find them to be pretty inspirational. I love to read from a first person perspective, how people face really difficult challenges in their life and how they overcome them. And I think it is fascinating how people go about big life changes or different life experiences and share their perspective. So I've read quite a few memoirs. Any favorites? Yeah, a popular one is um, When Breath Becomes Air. Have you heard of that one? I have not. I'm not very cultured, but you can share if you like. That <laughs> <laughs> would be cultured to read this one. But no, it's from the perspective of a neurologist or neurosurgeon, sorry. And um, he's battling cancer. And it, he talks about his experiences going through this. And it just is it's really inspirational. And it, it, it's a sad and heartwarming story of his life. Yeah, it just is very impactful on me. Yeah. Um, as far as podcasts, so I kind of listen to the whole range of podcasts. I also do a lot of audible books. And I listen to podcasts ranging from like murder podcasts um, all the way to more inspirational podcasts. I was listening to Mel Robbins recently a couple of her okay. podcasts which i found to be um very inspirational and audible i listened to all sorts of books i recently finished um all quiet on the western front okay wide range yeah i like that all right tell me about the two or three most influential people in your life and how maybe they impacted you okay i think one of the most influential people in my life is probably my grandma she is fascinating and brilliant and she has a deep love for continuous learning and growth and improvement. She is in her 90s and mm. she runs a blog. Wow. She posts almost weekly, I think, on really interesting, fun topics. And she actually got into computers and video editing really early on when it wasn't a space for women to be getting into this. Yeah. She did that in Seattle and she just is very inspiring when it comes to having a hunger to learn. Yeah. And I love that. And I, I hope to embody that. And I hope to be 90 years old, starting my own blog or trying new things. And yeah. it was so funny because uh, last time I met with her, she was talking about how she wants to get a job. And so wow. she was applying to <laughs> jobs on like LinkedIn. And she's like, yeah. well, what can I do from home? Like, and things like that. And I'm just, okay, that's the mindset that I want to have. Yeah. And I, I don't ever want to limit myself based on age or my background or whatever. Yeah. I, I want to feel like if there's something I want to do, I can try to go about it. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's amazing. 
I think you you embody her legacy. So I think you're well on your oh, way to that okay. thing. <laughs> I can just embody a fraction of her legacy. I'd yeah, be honored. But I think you've got it. And you've got to you. send me send me a link to the blog so I can put it in the show notes. Even though she probably has more traffic than I have at this point, <laughs> but I'd be happy to to share so people can oh, go there. That would be lovely. And so yeah. I I absolutely will. I know you had mentioned two to three. The second one's probably my mom. Mm-hmm. She's just the kindest soul and so caring and so generous and so loving. And I'm so lucky to have that influence in my life and to have her as a mom to her five daughters, which is not an easy ask. Yeah. I just commend her for that. Yeah. I, I'm very close with her and I'm very appreciative of her. And she is also very encouraging of me too, through this journey. So I mean, I don't know if she knows fully what I do exactly, but she is always on my back and yeah. was very excited for a big change cause, just because she knew how much it meant to me. So yeah. I'm yeah, very grateful for it. That's amazing. I don't know if I can describe what I do fully, so I, I can relate <laughs> to your mom. I mean, I in public relations, I still couldn't explain exactly what I do. I don't know if any of my friends do what I do, Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. All right. If you could send one message to your former self to help you, during your transition into tech, what would that message be? So this is a message that I wish I knew who had told it to us. When we were getting onboarded, I think it was a former Rachel Apprentice, I can't remember, but they had said, anything you don't know, you can learn. Hmm. And that sounds pretty simple on the surface, but it made such an impact on me when they first said that, because I started this role and I was so overwhelmed by the amount that I had to learn. I was so overwhelmed by seeing the experiences and background of my colleagues. And I just felt, oh my goodness, I don't have a master's or a PhD. I have a boot camp. How will I ever catch up? And uh, this person had said, anything you don't know, you can learn. And I took that and I made it a sticky note and I put it at the top of my computer because I just needed to remind myself that. And knowing that, okay, I don't know how to do any of this yet. I still can learn it. It might take a long time. It could take months, maybe even years to get where I want to be to feel comfortable. Maybe I'll never feel comfortable. But just having that belief, you can get the resources or try to find them, try to corral the right people, try to get yourself in a place where you can consistently work on something you don't know to eventually learn it. And I would remind that and tell that to my former self, any age of myself. Just be like, you might not know it, but you can learn it and you'll get there and just have faith that in time when with enough work, you'll get there. Yeah, no, it's simple, but profound. So that's, that's an amazing slogan. All right. What's next for you? Are you going to work your way up the LinkedIn data science track? That's the goal. That's the goal. I am still feel like, you know, we're six months in now. And of course I still feel like such a newbie. I know that I've come so far and it's wonderful to look back in the six months, but again, I had, I know I have so much farther yeah. to go. And so right now it's really just learning as much as I can, observing as much as I can to hopefully get to that place. But yeah. that's definitely the goal. I think from what little I know about you, Joy, I think you're knocking it out of the park, especially with all the on-call <laughs> rounds that you've been doing. I think you're doing great. Now that is a good learning experience. You want to talk about the on-call rotation? <laughs> sure. So I think our on-calls probably look a little bit differently. Maybe you can explain it because the audience probably doesn't know. I didn't know that on-call right. was even a thing right. when uh, before coming in. So what is on-call and yeah. what does that look like for data science? Yeah. So on-call... I have, will have a unique experience probably compared to other engineers like site reliability. I think there are 
on call around the clock in case anything goes down, they need to be prepared to answer questions. But from my experience, on call is essentially a week where you are the dedicated go-to for any questions related to your team. And this can look like a multitude of different things. Essentially, you serve as the expert for your team. So people will come to you from different partner teams, product managers, other data science from other teams may ask you basic analysis questions or maybe deeper analysis questions, or they ask you about certain data sets, or they ask you how to go about doing something that's in your domain. And these are questions that you're basically responsible for project managing, either figuring out the solution yourself or getting the right people in place to help solve these solutions. It can be pretty stressful only in the fact that a lot of these questions may be urgent or on deadline. And that's kind of like where the stress comes in. And I think for me, being so new to the field, my stress came from just the lack of knowledge I had. And so I felt like, okay, was I prepared to answer these questions? I don't even know the answer to myself. At first I was like, hmm, I'm not sure if I should be doing this role, but I'm really, really glad I did because it is such a fast way to learn. Again, data science on call is probably gonna look different than backend engineering. Um, I think I actually, have so much respect for other engineers who are working around the clock in case something breaks down yeah. because that sounds very stressful to me. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really, really good learning experience. Yeah. I don't have any direct experience yet with on call, but happy to exchange battle stories in the near future. Hopefully. So that <laughs> Definitely. All right. Definitely. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything else that you think someone thinking about a career in data science might consider? I would like to share that if you're thinking about it, don't be afraid to pursue it. And there's no pressure either, right? You don't have to quit your job and do the boot camp. You don't have to like follow the path I did or you did or whoever, like this yeah. path is your own. But if you do have some maybe small interest here and there, I think it's definitely worth taking the time to explore. Yeah. Just see, just give it a chance. Yeah. Cause you may end up falling in love with it. I'm so grateful I left a career that was good, but not for me. And I would hope that people could see like, okay, she has a background in communication. She did not major in engineering, math, statistics, nothing, but she's somehow finding her way into this field. And I hope people know that they can do that too. And I have so much more I need to learn, but I I recommend anyone who just even has like an inkling of interest, just just try, just see and give yourself a chance. Yeah, if you have excitement about something, go for it. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. I echo that (laughs) verbatim 100%. I endorse that. That's amazing. Awesome. Where can people go to find out more about you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. No, LinkedIn is probably the best place. I'm happy to talk to other folks and possibly interested in data science or data analysis, anything data related. And yeah, I'd be happy to share what I can or at least connect. I'm still looking to grow my community too with fellow career changers. And I think if we can all support and have each other's back and share our stories. And um, I think that just helped make it stronger and also just show that it's possible. Absolutely. And I'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can click and find you immediately. Joy, thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. I learned so much about you. I thought I knew you, but now I feel like (laughs) I better know you. So thank you so much for coming on and telling about your journey into tech. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful talking to you. And again, I'm just so grateful that you're doing this podcast and inspiring others. So thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exponential Growth Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for Exponential Growth, How to Break into Tech. If you got value from today's show, consider leaving a five-star review. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.